NWP Radio. You're listening to NWP Radio, a production of the National Writing Project. NWP. Welcome, viewers. And thank you for joining us in this second collab about preparing for online and hybrid and remote instruction. If you joined our first one, you know from that experience that a collab is a working session where, in effect, we take up a problem, we hear from somebody who's going to give us some thinking, and then we talk all about it together. So in this collab session, we're going to be moving on in remote and hybrid instruction to think a little bit about the instructional planning piece of it. And again, we're going to tap into the expertise of one of our colleagues who is in higher ed. And we talked about before how often our higher ed folks have maybe had a little longer to adapt to an online and remote teaching context that some of us in K-12. So today we're going to be hearing from Deanna Maskell, who is the director of the Moorhead Writing Project. If you follow Deanna uh, on Twitter, I told her I was going to say this, you know her handle says teaching online pre-pandemic. So this is not new to her, and we're going to be hearing from her some of the ways she thinks about planning for her teaching and also in a way that is more manageable for students, but also more manageable for the instructor, because both sides of the equation have to survive it, <laughs> both sides. So Deanna, welcome. Great to have you with us. We are going to start uh, with introductions from our teacher consultants. You'll see some of the crew are back for um, a second login this time. So we're going to go around and hear first from uh, the teachers what they're thinking about uh, so that you can hear that too, Dina, and then we're going to turn it over to you. So David, introduce yourself. What are you thinking about? Hey, everybody. Uh, my name is David Lopez. I'm teaching at a Catholic school in Los Angeles. I've been teaching for 18 years. And I'm thinking about my lesson today. As a matter of fact, I started using Edpuzzle, which if you all have not used it, it's super great. So I recorded myself reading a short story for my students in sixth grade with the voices and the pauses and the whole thing. And I inserted questions during it. And I explained it to the students. We made the accounts and let them you know, finish it. I give them until I give them two days to finish it. And like 80% of the kids are done with it. So I'm excited to see what their responses were. So I'm really, really feeling confident that this is another tool I'll be able to add to the tool belt this year. So I'm excited. Cool. Catherine. Hi, I'm uh, Catherine Williams. I teach 10th grade English at a public high school in Mississippi. Last week, when, or last time we recorded, I was really concerned about engaging with my students in a digital space in the same way that I do in a classroom. But now that I've actually started putting my lessons together and making them more digital friendly, I'm really concerned about organization, like conceptually, and also time management for me in creating these things. Uh -huh. and, and you have already gone back and went back face-to-face? -face. Our school board met like the day before we were supposed to go back and they pushed it back a week. So Monday I will have students in the room. We've been meeting as teachers though. Ben. I'm Ben Woodcock. I'm a public school teacher in mid-Michigan and I've been teaching for five years. Still haven't started school up in Michigan yet, but at the same time we're starting our planning and I just met with one of my teams this past week and starting to plan out using the stuff from Mike Caulfield's session in this one and trying to figure out how the planning is going to look in a 100% virtual uh, learning situation. So. 
So just a couple bits of housekeeping before Deanna, we turn it over to you. If you are just joining us on this collab, we're going to be putting a number of links below the video so that you can find the previous things that were shared. And right now we're going to turn it over then to Deanna. Hi, I'm going to now move to share my screen so that you can see my little slideshow that I prepared for you. Oops. And they'll get that link as well, Elise? We will share all the links, yes. Okay, great, because it's got a lot of embedded links in there. And so I just wanted to share very quickly that my teaching context for the fall will be a mixture of online and hybrid classes. And so I have a, a, one class that's 100% online. I have another class that is online, but I'm gonna be doing some synchronous virtual sessions to meet with those students. And then I have a hybrid class that will involve some face-to-face -face meetings as well as online work. So that's the kind of blended scenario I'm teaching for this fall. So I've called this kind of thinking system the KonMarie lesson planning. For those of you who might be familiar with the Marie Kondo method, she is a Japanese organizer of some fame and she has some rules that I actually thought were pretty useful as a thinking tool that helped me kind of sort through. So we're going to talk a little bit more about that later, but I did include a link if you want to learn more about how to organize your life and your house <laughs> based on her, her tips. So I wanted to just briefly touch on, on hyperdocs and, and why I love them. I've included some links to some of my blog posts about why I love teaching with HyperDocs, but a lot of it is they just keep me very organized. They help me think through my lessons in really useful ways. And they're also really useful signals to my students about this is exactly the process that we're following and this is the direction that we're going. So over the summer, I spent a lot of time thinking about how we could do better. My students in the spring were online and hybrid students, so you would think that they would have made that transition beautifully. We did not. There's a lot of reasons for that, but I think some of it is just that in a normal situation, our system was working wonderfully, but there wasn't enough to keep them kind of moored and connected with our community and the work when all the rest of their life was in chaos. And so I've taken some steps to, to make that easier, you know, to, to make them stay more connected. But I'm also wanted to think of ways that I could make it very simple for myself as I plan and update my materials throughout the semester, but also so students, when life is a lot, that we have a very clear direction and plan. So I have templates for my units and they will be the same for every unit throughout the semester. We have a plan for each week. We will follow the same procedures throughout the week. Each week will be pretty much the same things with just different activities. And then I have a process for our lessons. And so I have included links to my thinking as I thought about how to develop those templates. So you can read those blog posts. I also included this little graphic that explains what a hyperdoc is and is not, just as a quick kind of thinking tool to remind you that 
it's not just a digital version of a worksheet, that it's actually a lot more. And some also some thinking that I hope will be helpful for those of you who are newer to online or blended learning, which is what most of us are doing. You need to be very consistent. Begin as you mean to go on. It's not so much about picking the perfect tool as being consistent and not having too many tools, not having too many interfaces. So being consistent, being transparent so that all the time students know exactly where you are in a process. And so if they have to step out for whatever reason or they get disconnected, that it's easier for them to step in. This will help them when life is overwhelming and it will also help you when life is overwhelming because we know from the spring that life will be overwhelming. And then kind of two other rules that I think are really important to think about. This is not about creating a whole new lesson structure. This is about thinking about the materials and lessons that you already have in your toolbox and ways that you can then adapt those for this new learning situation that we have. But that translation process is more of an art than a science. And it requires a lot of thinking about how things look and work differently now. But the key is that everything online takes longer. It takes longer to learn things. It takes longer to do things. It takes longer to explain things. And so be very minimal. Like the more bang that you can get for any investment of time and energy on your behalf, as well as your students' behalf, the better you are as you approach things. You know, never forget that all of us are in cognitive overload, you know, or on the verge of it at any given time. Oh, and I did want to mention one other thing about the HyperDocs before we moved on. The HyperDoc community is amazing and wonderful and generous. And it doesn't matter what your teaching context is, what grade level, what content area, what kind of students you teach. There are other teachers out there creating HyperDoc resources for you to borrow and adapt or find inspiration in. There's, there is somebody out there on social media doing your work in HyperDocs. So, and they are wonderful, generous people. You do not need to pay for these things. These are just out there. The, the HyperDoc community, I just can't say enough about how wonderful they are. So the first thing I would like for you to do is just for a moment, and you know, David has a lesson already in his head because he already was thinking about it this morning, but think about one of the lessons that you really like to use in your classroom. Like it's a go-to move for you, something that you consider really essential for what you like to do with your students, something that you know always work in there no matter what you're doing. So just kind of have that in your mind you know, some activity or lesson. And then think about like what kind of learning cycle might work best for that. So the developers of the HyperDoc movement, I should say, they've kind of come up with five basic models that I've listed here. So a basic HyperDoc lesson, and these links take you to their templates for this. Basic HyperDoc lessons, explore, explain, apply, the five E's, the workshop model, or the hero's journey. Now, my pre-pandemic hybrid lesson model very closely followed this kind of workshop model. We would often meet, usually, usually we would meet on Tuesdays for about 75 minutes, I think, and we would do connection, we would do some learning, and we would start with our engagement 
as when we were together. And then they would leave me and use the HyperDoc to complete their engagement and some application and then sharing that would be done asynchronously online. And that's how we would work through that model. But now my pandemic template model is much more based on this explore, explain, apply model. And I'll talk a little bit more about that in a second. But I just wanted to show you very quickly one of these templates because I just think it's a really fun one based on the hero's journey. Oops, I can't see here. Get this out of the way. Where you start with a call to adventure, where you're just basically engaging them in some way. Then you do some exploration where they enter the unknown. Then you bring in a mentor and that mentor could be a video, it could be a mentor text of some sort, or it could be something that you do to, to engage them further. In fact, it, it mentions Ed Puzzle right there. Did you see that, David? <laughs> and then you go through a transformation, which is when they start to engage with the material on their own. And then you have a mastery phase where they would focus on some type of assessment or reflection or some combination thereof. So the thing that's really exciting is that there are a lot of different kinds of templates out there. These models very much look like more of a traditional worksheet, which a lot of my templates look that way as well. But I have seen people do game boards using Google Slides. I have people doing more of a choose your own adventure using a Google site. I have seen people use Google Forms so that they can collect information from students in little doses all the way through and you can really kind of guide them through a process. There's just so many different options that are available to you using HyperDocs. So my template is, as I said, it's a very basic model. And I use a process that I like to talk, describe as explore, apply, and share. So at the beginning, we have a very quick introduction. And I have included here a link to the template and I'll just show it to you very quickly so that it will always follow this same model where we have an, you know, I give them that basic introduction, we explore, and then we apply, and then we share, and then we're done. So this is what it looks like in its little pieces, its components. So at the top, I tell them our goal for this process. So I have given them two reasons. One, we're going to be building our community, learning more about each other through this process, but it's also going to serve as kind of a building block for the a deliverable that we're working on as part of this larger unit that we're working on. Also, because this is a very simple task that we're involved in, my, my third um, benefit is that they're going to be learning how to work within these Google Docs systems, and they're going to learn a couple tools that I use over and over again throughout the semester. So they're learning a lot of things that they don't necessarily know that they're learning along the way. So I give them some choices that are available to them for, as part of our exploration process. So I have a TED Talk. I have a slideshow about heraldry. There is a website called the Museum of Values where people talk about objects and how those objects connect with their stories about their values and their development, which are all really kind of fun things to do. And then there's, you know, just kind of the process of picking some, you know, fantastic animals and symbols that represent your values. 
So that's this kind of exploration process. Then after they have thought about and explored their values, then I have them apply that, that brainstorming and, and new information and create what I like to call a snap, which is just basically a Google slide, Google slide that's just a snapshot of, of what they have learned and created so far. And I have linked on the side here a blog post that I've written about how I've used snaps in the past. I use them a lot, especially early on in units as just kind of a thinking tool to capture what they're, what they're brainstorming and working on at the moment. And then using that to communicate with their classmates. So I lead them through the process of what they should include in their snaps. So they're writing a six word story about their values. They're choosing an image that represents their values. They're, then they're giving us a little brief paragraph that explains that process, telling us a little bit about themselves. And then I also ask them to share a YouTube video of a personal anthem that like reflects their values. And I give them a template that has like little blocks that they can fill in. And then I also give them a model that, and I'll just show you. So this is my, my value snap. So I, my six word story is planting fruits I'll never see ripen. And then I talk about my values, my image, you know, as an apple tree. And there's actually a lot of reasons I would choose an apple tree. And I will talk more about that when I talk to them. I give them a little bit of a bio for me. I talk about, you know, my backstory basically for my values and then my anthem. So the thing, you know, this is all pretty basic stuff. I mean, this isn't shocking, I'm sure, to any of you. Where you really get ex exciting, I think, with, with HyperDocs is the way you can then use the HyperDoc so that you are not involved in this process, that you can then direct students down to a certain path that can be very interactive. So my students, you know, they go through a process, they share their snap with the community, and then they have to go through and read other people's snaps to see who have, see what other community members have values that intersect with theirs, and then they have to interact with those people. So they're really looking and studying each other's values and then finding the connections between each other's values in their own so that we're building that community but also making those connections with each other as humans even though we have not yet met as people and the the beautiful thing about this process is that none of this requires me to do anything like i don't have to give them feedback because they're getting a lot of feedback from each other so the more of that, I mean, I certainly will be in there. And especially this first time, you know, these first couple of weeks as we're learning how to do this, I'll be in there supporting. And if somebody's made a mistake, I can help fix that easily, which is another glorious thing about using Google Docs. It's really easy to fix a mistake if somebody has made a mistake. So that's essentially my little process for following or directing students through my HyperDoc templates. But what I found was really useful for me in terms of thinking about this was thinking about the Marie Kondo method. Because she has a list of, of rules that she asks people to follow. 
So first is to kind of commit to tidying, which is like you've just made that decision, okay, I'm gonna simplify, I'm gonna minimize what I'm doing. And I think a lot of us are at that point because we all survived the spring. And we know that we can't just translate what we did in our classroom before to the now. Because even when we have students in our classroom, everybody's cognitive load is just different than it was in the before time. But we also have to think about now in this new reality with these new constraints, we have to spend some time imagining what is the best possible classroom? What's our ideal classroom under these conditions? And so for me, for example, I shifted a lot of our interaction online because so much of my face-to-face -face classroom would have been pair and share, turn and talk, small group where I'm walking around the room and interacting. None of that can happen <laughs> in this new environment where we're socially distanced and masked and nobody can, can gather together in little groups and, and collaborate. And you know, I'm all the time bringing markers and crayons to class and I, you know, I can't do any of that. So a lot of that I shifted online. And when we're together, it's gonna be about problem solving, troubleshooting, answer questions, but also just writing together because we can still do that together. We can bring on our own pens and paper and sit down and write. And then talk about that writing. That we can do together. So thinking about what that classroom and that structure that you can do that will work and still do the things that you want it to do. And then she spends a lot of time, like you need to think about the order that's important to you. So I spent a lot of time thinking about, I had already, knew that you know, like my units would work for me. I felt, you know, I, I did a backwards design of my semester and it's like, okay, I don't have to change my units. That'll still fit within the time period that we have. And then I spent a lot of time really thinking about how I wanted the cycle of my week to work because I knew what I did in the before time, but I wasn't sure if it would work in this time. But it was really important to think about those lessons and think that through. And I used to have much bigger and broader and messier lessons because it, it was fine to be a little messier with my lessons because I was with them in the same room face to face and I could answer questions and I could explain things and I could show them things. And now I can't rely on that. I have to be very clear, very straightforward and very minimal. And so that's where I decided on just those three simple buckets of explore, apply and share. And that just, you know, everything, I'm, I look at my old lessons and activities, and I have to make sure that everything fits in each one of those buckets. And that those buckets don't get too full. <laughs> and that process was actually really helpful to me as a teacher. I think my lessons are actually way better for it. And I was pretty happy with them before, but now that I was trying to squeeze as much from each thing that we do, they're actually a lot more effective and a lot more interactive than they were before. And so finally, I think one of the great strengths of, of using HyperDocs for engagement is that there's just so many ways that they can make learning visible. So many times when I'm teaching content, 
I don't spend a lot of time. I mean, I know I did at the top of this unit, I gave them a definition because I wanted to have, I wanted them to have a working definition that we all agreed on for values. But sometimes when we're learning new material, I give them a lot of resources and then I make them collaborate on their definitions and their descriptions and their tips. I send them forth in the world to find examples and models. So they're developing those resources as a team working together. And that is one of the great powerful things, I think. It, it takes so much weight off of me. It makes that engagement real and active for them. And they own that and they'll remember it a lot longer than if I had just given it to them. And I also really like that a lot of these interactions and depending how you structure them, they can give you a lot of little things that you can plug into your gradebook. I know a lot of, of school districts require you to have pretty regular little grade checks of some sort, like to show that students are doing their work. And so that's the beautiful thing, you know, like I could for this activity, I can, you know, the posting of their snaps, check, you know, their interaction with this, check. And, you know, there's a lot of different ways that you can do that that don't require a lot from you. But, you know, the students are getting a lot out of that. I also really like how it can make it very visible what students are thinking and learning as they go along so that you know, like, oh, I guess I may need to, you know, go back over this or you can do a just in time intervention as you're watching that Google Doc in progress. And also, I think, especially this is really important at this time, it makes it really easy for makeup work that if they miss that week, even you just can give them whatever hyperdoc that you've been working with that week and then they can catch up and work on that. So I put on the side just some examples because there's a lot of different ways and different institutions are going to define online hybrid or blended in different ways. And so at, at Moorhead, when we're online, generally we're expected to be asynchronous. Hybrid or blended is usually kind of, they usually require us to be 50-50. During the pandemic, we have a little bit more discretion with that. But I would say the method that I'm using this semester is actually what you would describe as a high flex method, which gives the students a lot more discretion over the path that they are choosing to engage. So I am not requiring them to come to a face-to-face -face meeting, obviously. <laughs> it just feels like that wouldn't be a good thing to require people. If I could avoid it, I would. <laughs> but especially because of room requirements, I could not have my whole class in my room. And so I prefer to you know, have that offered as an option to them. And then I also will have some synchronous virtual sessions. So those who can't come to the one can come to the other. So that's what more of a high flex where you have a mixture of synchronous and asynchronous that might be in person or it might be face to face or it might be some combination thereof. And one last thing I did want to mention was that hyperdocs really work really well if you do any kind of station rotation or if you're interested in exploring that because hyperdocs you can have students engaged in hyperdocs independently while you're say conferencing with students or working with small groups on some other activity whether it needs to be catching them up or you know you've broken them out for various reasons and so you know, I included a link to an, um, a blog post that somebody else had written. I don't do much station rotation in my classroom, but I do do a lot of small group work. 
And so hyperdocs are really useful to help with that because it's supported for them. And so I feel like I talked 4 million miles a minute, but I think that was everything that I wanted to go over. So now I suppose I can answer questions. Deanna, thank you so much. <laughs> that was really great. And uh, particularly appreciate being able to see an example of actual curriculum embedded in it so that we could follow through how that would happen. So that's great. Folks, this is a time for us to do Q&A. And let's start with you, Ben. All right. So my question um, was kind of with the planning. Can you just uh, remind you teach higher education, right? Yes. So you the college, college course. But I teach college freshmen, so okay. they're not them. <laughs> I was just, I was just wanting to make yeah. sure my, yeah. my question was in context. So when I was looking through and following along with the plan, there was one headline that was the green one, and it had to do with exploring and key options were the two, um, mm -hmm. the two columns there. Notice that you had you had options. You had option one and option two. And I guess, do you explain that to the students that they have they get to pick? I mean, are both of those options? I mean, I'm just kind of curious about the options that are provided. And do, does option one for one column does it correspond to the option in another, or can they crisscross? I guess is mine. I think they could they engage with it really any way. The idea is just for them to find some inspiration as they, they identify their values. And so in theory, they could actually skip that entirely because if they look at like, especially if they come a little bit later to the class and they can see what other people have done in their snaps, sure. some people may choose to skip that and that's okay. And I imagine there'll be some people that do all of it. <laughs> right, right. And I guess that's why the, the option wording kind of lends mm -hmm. itself to this is optional. But I was just kind of curious about your your planning and your scope and sequence with, and if right. the ones corresponded with, and the, the two corresponded. So thank you. I mean, my expectation though is this is the very first activity they're doing for me. I bet most of them will do all of it. But I actually had that same question. So just to be really clear for folks who are then looking at the slides at home, uh, there were those two columns, the explore and then key. What does key mean? It's well, something you define for your students, but just so we know how to interpret your slides. I was kind of thinking like the key in a map, like just these are like some, I don't know, maybe I was being too cutesy, but we have the little compass design there beside it. <laughs> so at the time I thought I was being clever, but that's, I don't know well, that they'll pay that much attention to it. They probably won't. It'll be for me. You know, I kind of love this little, this little discussion because you've emphasized all the way through that, you know, like be creative, test them. They're actually yours to make and remake hyperdocs. There's not a magic formula. And because they're, they're a Google product and easily editable, you could always say after the first semester, well, that bombed. I think we'll take that off class and not have that. That didn't work. Or maybe it does work. So it's, it's good to think about these things as flexible and maybe bringing young people into thinking about how to make the flow of it work better or how to communicate. We can get our kids involved with that. Well, and I do build in a lot of that kind of feedback loop with my students throughout 
because I'm always every semester I'm like inventing the reinventing the wheel over and over again. And so there's always like four or five things. I'm like, so I tried this. What'd you think about that <laughs> kind of a thing? And so they, they get trained pretty easily, pretty early on to give me feedback about how things work for them. And I own it when it doesn't work because sometimes it doesn't. Which is important, right, as teachers to do that. I wanted to ask a, like a two-part question real quick. One is, uh, what would you say to teachers who, in terms of like, you know, table setting, like talking to students about like setting up your Google, you know, this is what you click on and, and here's how you share it and doing all that, which might seem like super frustrating to some teachers and they're like, ah, it's not worth it. And then my second question is, when you were talking about uh, interaction, like when, when the kids were looking at the snaps, like, what what is that what is that and like how do you hold them accountable for for the interaction so the first part they start the semester that one of the first things i give them is an orientation which is just a google slideshow but it is like high it's very meme heavy a lot of mom jokes with dogs <laughs> you know it's it's really goofy and silly <laughs> but like I don't know if I say it once, I say it at least six times in that document. I say things like, so you should create a folder that says English 100. And in that folder, you should save things like say the calendar. And I have the hyperlink right there, <laughs> you know, to like, don't save it. But like, if you like, oh, what's the word like bookmark it or whatever, you know, because they don't want to save it because you want to have it so that like it shows when I change things. Gotcha. And so I, I mentioned that like multiple times, like, so they have the, you know, the, the calendar, which has links to all their things that they're going to do for the calendar. And then it also includes, you know, the syllabus, but also through the orientation, I take them through a version of what I showed you guys. Like, so this is what the unit document looks like. And then the hyperlink with the directions to save includes the first unit. This is what your week looks like with a hyperlink to that week unit, reminding them they should save that to that folder. <laughs> so like, you know, like their orientation starts them on that. Right. I also give them a doc because some of my students, like a lot, like 85% of my students are from my region. Pretty good chance that they have come from classrooms of teachers I have trained. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> so, a lot of them are familiar with Google Docs. Right. But I give them like a cheat sheet for Google Docs as well. So that those who are new or if I have to like remind them. And there's a lot of that first week where I'm doing a lot of going back and like making hyperlinks versus, you know, cause they, they just plopped it in there and they didn't do that, you know. Right. So I, you know, it's a lot of that. But there'll be other students who like, they got it or they just learned it and so now they're so eager to teach other people. And I set up a culture where everybody can answer and help everybody because I don't wanna to have to do all the things. <laughs> <Smart>. <laughs> and, but just to say that it really does also point back to if you're going to use some common structures again and again and again, and orientation to walk through the key things that they're gonna do again and again and again is a completely important investment to make and then it pays off down the road without having to do that if for a new tool or a new process for every unit. David, you had another question, I think, though? Yeah, oh, yeah. you had a two second part. Yeah. yeah, holding them accountable for the interaction with the snaps, yeah. So it's all on a spreadsheet, which I didn't show that to you, but I have a, a spreadsheet 
and actually I, I have learned, I don't use the, 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 the Google spreadsheet. I put a table in a Google doc okay. because then it, it's just easier to format and mess with when yeah. you do the Excel spreadsheet, it gets funky. Yeah. So I can see at any given time, like who's, who's posted. And then I can see how that, how things are filling in and I can pay attention. And so as the week progresses, because they, they have time to do this. They have a week to do it. So I've given them recommendations that they should have it by certain dates. But, you know, that's a little ishy. Yeah. My, my deadlines are not hard in stone. But I will, like, contact people that if they're not there by the time that I think they should be or it's getting close to that time. Got it. Thanks. Catherine. The first thing's not really a question. My mind's just kind of spinning with all the possibilities this could have for differentiation, you know, for your students who are struggling, you can have those extra links. And then for the students who want to move ahead and do more, I do have one. It's kind of a question and you might not have a good answer for me. Just as a high school teacher, you know, especially when I'm teaching writing and cycles of writing, I'm so used to having everyone kind of in the same spot, interacting together, you know, addressing the problems as they arise. So when you have these students who are they're still interacting. It's just asynchronously. Everyone's working at a different pace. How do you still help them to manage those interactions and that peer, that help from a peer? You mean the writing process, that, that feedback yeah. loop? Yeah. So if they're writing, you know, and you get to a point in the writing where you notice people are struggling, but everyone's in a different place, I guess, when you have something mm -hmm. like this, it's different kind of schedule. Like, how do you manage that? So part of my unit process is that we kind of work through like a five-week cycle that that looks kind of like a you know a writing cycle you know where we're exploring and then brainstorming then planning then drafting then workshopping then you know their final reflection that leads to their grade and so so that you know they should be somewhat on that same process together you know, their timeline might not look exactly the same as everybody. I mean, there's going to be people who have a draft like way before they need it. And there's going to be people who have a draft way after everybody else sometimes because <laughs> that's how students are. But that's how people are, I should say. <laughs> but, you know, most people tend to clump and that's why I try to give them those time frames. And I talk a lot about that the time frame is for them more than it is for me and it's for their community because if you're out of sync with the community in fact i literally was just writing a note to students about that very thing to remind them that when you're out of sync with the community then there's repercussions for you because you're not going to get the help that you would if you were in sync with your community but also it has repercussions because the community because you know we all you know, benefit from those ideas as well as that feedback and inspiration. I mean, you just know how it is when you see when somebody else does something, you're like, oh, I don't want to do it that way, but that makes me think of this other thing. And, and that's the beauty of engaging in the community and writing together. I don't know if that helps. No, that, that absolutely does. Because, you know, I was wondering, you know, you said you give it to them and they can kind of work at their own pace. I was wondering how that worked, but I like the idea of giving them kind of that soft guideline. So, you know, it teaches them that time management and that responsibility too. So yeah, that definitely answered my question. Well, and it gives them that pro and con of why you want to stay in sync, but that sometimes you can't, you know, especially in college, but I think certainly in, also during a pandemic, sometimes you just can't stay on track and, and that's okay. 
sometimes it just happens, but there's trade-offs for that. Maybe we should all go off of mute. Um, thank you for being on while we were hearing the presentation, but let's just um, open it up to a little bit more of a discussion. And one of the points that you just made in that, Deanna, in that response to Catherine, we might all have ideas about. You talked in your presentation about being very clear and transparent. You talked about like, Let's be transparent about the goals of the unit, about why we're doing this. This is what's coming up and why it's important. But that last conversation there was another kind of transparency about how a productive community can work under these circumstances. Um, writing, I think, is a good example because actually there are people who have gone for long periods of time with remote interaction with the people who give them feedback. Professional writers are rarely going to be sitting around a table with respondents. They're going to have an editor, they're going to whatever. So kind of talking about the theory of how we can work remotely and what's the why behind things like, by this date, do this, and that's why. That kind of thing. That transparency seems really a key here. Well, and I think it goes back to David's question of accountability. Because when you make things very visible in this way, so that everybody can see what everybody's doing or not doing, they care a lot more about the accountability of their community than they care about me. And one of the things that I build in my classroom, that I, it's not included here, but I blog about it a lot, <laughs> is I use badges to kind of reward community contributions. I do not award badges, only students oh. award badges. And the badge awards have to come with evidence. As in, I learned how to do X from Susie because she blah, blah, blah. Or Kevin's example of this like really inspired me to do this with my thing that I wouldn't have tried. Or I love how you know, Martin struggled and like failed like three times, but he kept working at it and like, man, he got it. And I cry sometimes when I read those badges. We have a lovely post also from Chad Sansing, who you might know, Deanna, about his, he taught at the time that he wrote this post with I think like fourth and fifth graders and similarly used badges in the community. We'll link that as one of the resources for people that are watching this, but I'm, I'm wondering if that's like an idea, David or Catherine or Ben, like have either of you tried something like that or an um, analogy of that kind of thing? They were electronic on our LMS at Modo that you could assign them, but how do you like, I mean, I'm, I mean, I know it's different now, but was it like, how, how does it work? Like what's the badge now? So I am super, super low tech. Okay. I made little designs of badges using like PowerPoint. Yeah. I use little superhero badges. So like you can earn like the Nightwing badge or the <laughs> Spider-Man badge or, you know, they're, they're super like Thor because you're just awesome, you yeah. know, kind of things. Like they're super cheesy superhero and, and they really don't mean anything. They're very much like, I mean, the descriptions are super loose. And then I have a Google Doc where I have little boxes for each badge, and then you just go in there and you put beside the Google Doc, I will give this badge to so-and-so because of X. It's great, I like that. So it's, you know, it's, we all, and we have a new one each unit. Oh, nice. Cool. 
I used to do it weekly, but that's just a nightmare. <laughs> like, it's just a lot <laughs> for everybody. <laughs> Unit seems to work pretty well. It's another transparency, though, so that, that give mm -hmm. the young people an option to make transparent who's helped them and how the community is functioning, because you can't, you can't do that thing that you can do in the room where you can just say, hey, everybody, look at this amazing thing that just happened here because it's happening behind the scenes and you don't see it. And if I'm the only person watching for awesome things, I miss a lot. But if you've got 19 eyes paying attention or 19 pairs of eyes paying attention, you catch a lot more awesomeness. I was just going to say it reminds me of kind of what Mike said last time. You know, we can't see everything going on when when we do the breakouts or whatever. So that kind of uh, allows for, you know, students to, when they're in their little separate meetings, to award each other based on what they're learning. So I think that's cool. I was going to ask a quick question about, for teachers who are like really curious about, you know, starting this process, would you suggest that they convert like one unit first or just go, you know, convert like crazy and do everything on HyperDocs or, or what would you suggest? I would start with an activity first. Just start with like one or two things and play with it. And then after you have a comfort level with it, then you might, you know, try working on a whole assignment with that. But I don't know that I would dive in. I, I think one of the glorious things though about HyperDocs is that if you like don't know any, like this is the first time you've heard about them and like you're just starting out and like you're really nervous about any of this stuff, then just use one of the templates that's available to you. There's so many out there that you can just use and just plug in your stuff. But you can also, you know, go the route that I did, which is, you know, kind of build your own based on the models. Mm -hmm. you know, there's a lot of different ways you can go. What are, I'm sorry, uh, one last thing. What's one of the, like the, like a pitfall or something you would tell teachers to be careful for or of in case, you know, just like technology wise or just in case, you know, we're lo-fi or low, you know, not, not too advanced. So I would say, don't, don't get too tool happy. Mm -hmm. I'm assuming most of you at this point, especially your district has a platform, like this is where everybody's going to be. And so, you know, like I have learned, like our, our, our university, we use Blackboard, but like over the summer, you know, I was exposed to Microsoft Teams. Like there was a big push to use Teams and I looked at it and I was like, nope. <laughs> I'm going to stick with Blackboard, although really Blackboard is just kind of like our communication tool, our communication hub, and a bookmark, <laughs> like, like they have bookmarks there. Yeah. And then everything else takes place in, in Google Docs. Oh, and our, our like grading kind of conversations take place in the secure environment of Blackboard. So I would say minimal tools and and start as you mean to go on and don't try to do too many things. Like there are a lot of nifty tools out there, but like for this first unit, we'll just be in Blackboard and Google Docs. That's it. Less is more, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. The Marie Kondo method here to, of uh, tidying and weeding and all that sort of thing. Yeah, and I actually, I didn't mention like one of the things that, you know, of course she's famous for this, right? Is you take the object and you're like, does it bring me joy? And if it doesn't, you throw it away. And, and that's really kind of that less is more process is like taking up each thing that you, each lesson, because there, there's a lot of things that we do. Like there's a lot of procedures sometimes that I have built in assignments and, and it was, it was in response to a specific problem at that time. And I just kept doing it. And like, maybe that problem doesn't apply anymore, especially under our new circumstances. 
So it, I think it's really worthwhile going through and taking things up and saying, does this spark joyful learning? And if it doesn't, throw it away. I did a little reading into the hyperdocs once I heard this, what you were going to talk about. And I saw a lot of people talk about the time management issue. It seems like the hyperdoc is really like we've said, just a way to make everything transparent from the unit to the end goals. You know, like this is what we want to accomplish. Did you find that time management for you in creating the hyperdocs and getting everything together was an issue? And if so, how did you deal with it? I think the big help for me was once I had thought through my systems, my kind of buckets or categories that I was going to tidy things into, then it went much faster because I had that thought process already in place. And that's where I think, especially as the semester progresses, that it's going to be so much of a relief for me because it's going to kind of take some of that stress off of me because I've already done kind of the heavy lifting, so to speak. But I also find like, because I, I always build models, especially for the early, you know, like, like I'll build snaps and I'll have my example. And so then it gives me a good idea of like how long it takes to do a thing. So that I know in terms of how much time students are going to need to do that. Although I'm assuming most of them probably can build a Google slide pretty easily without my intervention. Well, one of the things that, that I thought also was nice to keep in mind, especially for all of us at this part of the year, this time of the year. So in your, your umbrella statement that we're all in cognitive overload, which I think we all are, absolutely. And so very simple things may feel really, really hard to do at any given moment. That, that early assignment that you shared with us is one that kind of fits the, we're getting to know each other. We're going to meet each other. We're going to make connections. We're going to try to build a community. So it seems to fit there, which is so important at the beginning of the year. But it's also a kind of wonderfully, in the best sense, low stakes product in effect. And so to learn the processes and the procedures with low stakes product in effect, so that we're not stressing to try and get intellectually challenging with the product at the same time we're trying to figure out new steps where to put it how to respond to each other so it does feel to me like a great at the start of the year right now some very simple things that teach us procedures we're going to use again and again and again so that they get automatic about the time that we need them to start putting tougher more challenging products through that same process is it seems to me that was demonstrated in the the unit that you gave us, which feels like a good thing. Now, you know, last time when uh, we were all together, folks were also asking about things like conferences and response groups and that kind of thing. It feels like some of those things could also, you mentioned I would start with an activity, what David, you said, where would you start? And so with an activity, but it could be that there's a kind of recurring activity that you want to teach them, like getting prepared for a conference or running a response group in a breakout or whatever, that that might also be a thing to, to try a hyperdoc for that they could go back to again and again and again to kind of structure, this is how we're going to do conferences, et cetera. Another kind of activity, not a one-time activity, but a recurring activity. I don't know if any of you have a, something like that in your regular practice that you're imagining, wow, if I could engineer that, that would be a huge load off of my planning time because I could trust to say, now we're going to go into response groups and they could just boom, do it. 
Yeah, well, I was even thinking of like a simple anything writing wise, like, you know, let's plan it out, right? Let's, here's your planning. You could, and then uh, going back to the options, right? You can cluster, you can make a list, you can free write. Cool. Next, here's my first draft. Don't worry about, you know, punctuation stuff. Just get it out on your page or whatever. And then the third thing, right? So I could totally see this like seeping its way into different subjects aside from the content areas. So I, I'm, I'm excited to try this. It's really cool. Yeah, I have like three procedures that we go through each unit. So one is the kind of preparation for um, the workshop where we discuss as a group what our standards are gonna be for that particular deliverable. And there's a process that I take them through. So that's like, once we have that in a hyperdoc, then we just follow that same process for each new deliverable. Then we also have a process for the workshop process where you know they how they prepare their draft as well as the the open-ended questions that they are asking their their reviewers to respond to and then i i am ungrading my classes so we have a conference at the end of the unit and we discuss their unit grade based not just on the deliverable but also the work that they did so that has always been a reflection that they prepared for me, but this semester I'm having them do weekly reflections. And so that's part of our weekly work. So that's, that's a single doc and they'll use the same doc for the whole unit, but they update it each week with new information about what they did that week as well as their questions. And so in some ways it's kind of like a little conference space for me each week. Hopefully I don't die of work. But I don't think I will because it's kind of fun and it's not terribly time consuming and it's, it's very low stakes. And, for the, and the, Sorry, for that reflection, are you going to give them prompts to respond to each week? Yeah, I have a Google form oh, cool. and then they, they will copy that form so that then it's theirs and then they just kind of fill in each week. There's like a series of prompts that I take them through a directed reflection process. So we're really pretty much close to the end of the hour here. And viewers, I think you also would have noticed from the slideshow, Deanna shares generously everything. So you're going to see the links and you'll get a link to the, you'll be able to get the slideshow. That has links to a number of blog posts that explain things further. If at any point you want to give us some of those examples of like your Google Doc or whatever, I'm thinking Ben's like, I want, I'm, wonder what that looks like. Why not? <laughs> but it's also in the context um, of, I think, the writing project and the HyperDoc community of trying to share as much as possible. Let's not reinvent the wheel. Let's tweak each other's wheels. It's one of the benefits of being able to, to work in a common online environment, in effect, trying to solve some of the same problems. When we finish, Deanna, uh, there's sort of a go-round for everybody about like one idea that they're going to take. So you can hear what people are, are going to pull from this. And let's just go ahead in the same order and start with Ben. I just got a lot going through my head right now regarding uh, planning and stuff like that. As we were talking about HyperDocs, I was like, we did this in the springtime. One of my planning partners and I created a, a doc each week. But I think there's a little bit more to think about in terms of uh, making it more than just a worksheet this time around and, and really playing and, and figuring out what's going to make this a worthwhile educational experience for my students. So that's kind of where my head's at in this. So thank you very much. Catherine. This has been really great. And 
you know, I've, I've been spending a lot of time looking at my units and figuring out, you know, how can I start with the digital and go from there. And I think that looking at this is going to really help my students because, you know, just having all these assignments and lists of what to do isn't going to be great for my students who can't be in classroom in the classroom with me. So having this hyperdoc that's interactive that they can go back to that has all of this in it, I think that'll be great. So I'm definitely going to try adapting one of my activities with that. Yeah, and I'm going to go ahead and we're starting our narrative unit in a couple of weeks. And so one of the first things we get to read is Julia Alvarez's essay, Names, Nombres. And so then the students are going to write about their name and, you know, what it means and all that. So I'm, I'm already thinking, okay, let's link the story. Here's me reading it. Here's the prompt, Google Forms. So, you know, kind of like Catherine was saying, you know, just the, 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 the static list of like things to do. It's like, no, it's like click, listen, and, you know, interface and and. So, Deanna, thank you so much. I'm, I'm looking forward to trying all these, these cool ideas out. And I'm really thinking how nicely, for those folks uh, who are following all of these series, the way that you talked about making it interactive by having your students, okay, go here and post and then comment, and that's happening in a digital space, fits really beautifully with what we were learning from Mike Caulfield about trying to think digital interactive first. And then if you get to see them, in, if they can come in class, great. If it's synchronous, if it's asynchronous, it all works in that high flex way. You even mentioned high flex. If you think of a throughput that can happen digitally. So it really fits nicely with what we heard in the last collab. So thank you for that. And I was going to add, so one of my friends and one of my writing project leaders teaches seventh grade. And so her district has kind of, she's going to have some students in the room and some students at home. But she, the beautiful thing about using hyperdocs to kind of type, to tie her work together is that her students in both groups can interact on those documents together so that they can still have that connection with each other, even though they're not in the same classroom together. And, and I think that's a really beautiful application of that as well. Okay, everybody. Thank you so much, Deanna, and really thrilled to have you here with us. And thank you, team. We'll see what we and who we hear from next. And if you're a viewer, be sure to look at the bottom of this and see all the resources that we're going to have linked. Thank you so much, and goodbye. You're listening to NWP Radio, a production of the National Writing Project. NWP. W. 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 W.